Articles by Desiring God For God so warned the world, how he keeps the ones he loves. Written and read by Greg Morse. If an old-time preacher, one who believed in uncomfortable realities like the wrath of God, human depravity, and divine judgment, rode his horse through some of the streets of American Christianity, what might he experience? Sounding the alarm as Paul Revere, this watchman might gallop down our paved roads yelling, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Make way for the King. Repent and believe. Stay awake. Keep the faith. Only those who endure to the end will be saved. Put the flesh to death by the Spirit. Obey Him. Finish the race. Look to Jesus. Trust Him for His grace. He is coming to judge the world in righteousness. To His delight, a good number would trim or would have already trimmed their lamps. These already live looking out the window, trusting, praying, fellowshipping, killing sin, living awake, ready for their master to return. But to his amazement, some voices would shoot back from dimmed rooms. You must be lost, dear sir. We are Christians. You must have meant to stir up the next town of never heard or perhaps secular city down the way. Good works, laughs another. Why, good sir, do not tell me you are Roman. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Our faith justifies. We will not quiver as though our doings make us right with God. Forgive me, the preacher says, taken aback. I did not mean to have you rise and live and work to earn salvation. It cannot be done and cursed are all who try. I meant, rise with your new nature, new affections, new allegiances, new spirit and new commandments. Live and stay alert with holy urgency. Walk the narrow way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Strive for the holiness without which we cannot see the Lord. Confirm your calling and election. Yes, yes, we have heard of your kind before, remarks the first. More emphasis on our works than Christ's. Listen here. Christ lived a perfect life for me and died in my place. I have failed, will fail, and often fail. But Christ, sir, Christ lived such a life in my place. I refuse to return to law. I am gospel-centered, you see. Oh, sir, adds a second. Now I know you to be trouble. What is this talk of wrath and judgment? We are Christians. All these warnings, threats, exhortations, admonishments come to my ears as the fear-mongerings of a legal religion. No condemnation is mine in Christ. I wish you a speedy return to Heretic's Highway. With that, before another word could be spoken, several windows might shut, otherwise their snores would soon become audible from the street are the warnings for me. The above account, albeit exaggerated, captures the instinct of some professing Christians today when they come across the imperatives and warnings of Scripture. Some self-professed, gospel-centered Christian teaching leaves little room for discussing our efforts and actions besides repeating that they do not justify.
sees Christian living as an almost irrelevant holding cell before heaven, understands justification as the totality of salvation, has little to no category for conditional divine promises, and holds dismissive ideas about warnings and commandments of Scripture. Once saved, always saved, they say in defense. Jesus obeyed so I do not have to. When they stumble across an imperative or warning, they dismiss it as yet another gospel reminder. Of course, I could never cut off my hand of lust or live a self-disciplined, pure, humble, hospitable, forgiving, or faithful life, but thank God Jesus did all that for me. However, true cross-centeredness takes up all the aims of the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24 Now thank God that Jesus has lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died and rose again from the grave in victory, the heart of our faith. But the red ink falling from the cross does not redact the imperatives or cautions of the New Testament for believers. The cross does not silence its Lord. God from the beginning has graciously warned his people of the hidden and inevitable consequences of their rebellion. Beginning in the garden, he spoke to the sinless man, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When he commands and warns in the New Testament, do we listen? Passing over verses. Let's take, for example, the cohabitating realities of justification by faith alone and a living warning of hell bound up together in Romans 8. First, the treasured language of justification of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the true believer joined to Christ by faith, zero condemnation right now because of what Jesus has accomplished. We stand not guilty in the courtroom, and more than that, declared righteous through faith. Romans 3.28 Because of a work done outside of us, yet applied to us, all our sins are forgiven, our guilt taken, no condemnation. Some then take this promise, this glory, and infer that they are safe, already in heaven with essentially nothing required of them until Jesus returns. Nothing but sunny skies ahead. But such forecast changes just a few verses later. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8.13 After telling them and us no condemnation exists in Christ, the Apostle tells them, the same group he addressed in Romans 8, that if we live according to the flesh, we will die, no matter what we profess about justification. Does our gospel-centeredness mute this warning? Do we skip over these verses? We shouldn't. To professing Christians. Again, Paul warns, professing Christian. If you do not put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you will surely die. Meaning, the eternal death of conscious punishment in hell. 
the true belief that no condemnation remains for them right now in Christ did not negate the true warning right now against living in sin. Now note, for those wondering about assurance, Paul will also soon remind us that all the truly justified, the same ones who will persevere in killing their sin by the Spirit, will be glorified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified, Romans 8.30. And by the end of the chapter, he exclaims that nothing in all the universe can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.37-39. So which is it? Do I believe I am free from condemnation or do I fear the possibility of condemnation? Both. Contemplating life apart from Christ. We believe in the assurance Christ offers, and we fear turning from him, being allured away by the flesh, the devil, and the world. God issues real warnings about hell to keep us from that very hell. They serve as real, not hypothetical, means God uses for our preservation. God promises and God warns, carrot and stick, to bring us home safely to himself. His precious and very great promises sing us to unseen realms where his glory dwells. While his thunder shakes us from earthly temptations towards suicidal pleasures, all of his sheep will make it home treasuring both his promises, Romans 8.1, and his warnings, Romans 8.13. And God promised this long ago, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart in one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 40. The fear of God is a new covenant adhesive to keep us near God. Israel did not have this fear, a fear that fastens when temptation comes. Such dread is unlike fearing an abusive father, a violent fear sending us cowering away. The Christian's fear draws him ever to Christ in full assurance of faith, Hebrews 10.22. Christ will find us at peace at his return, 2 Peter 3.14. In Christ, we know that God won't renege his covenant, nor do we look over our shoulder waiting for unexpected blows. The fear soberly considers life outside of Christ, weighs the real consequences of jumping from the ark into God's waves of judgment, and trembles. Delight to fear. Such faith believes that if we deny Christ, Christ will deny us. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we forsake God's kindness, we will be cut off. Romans 11.20-22 If we sow to corruption, we will reap corruption. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 If we pamper our right eye of lust, we will be thrown into hell. Matthew 5.29 If we do not hold our original confidence to the end, we will be lost. Hebrews 3.12-14 if we continue sinning deliberately, no sacrifice for our sins remains. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If we live according to the flesh, we will die. Romans 8, 13. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. 
this faith takes hold of the promises that woo us to Christ and gladly receives the warnings that shout to our souls, do not leave him. The new covenant warnings are not washed away by the blood of Christ. The new covenant people of God are those who fear him forever with the fear of faith for their good. Like Nehemiah, they delight to fear God's name, Nehemiah 1.11, and believe with gratitude the cautions he gives about falling from him. They mind his warnings and rest in his promises. They love his word, serve his people, and cherish his likeness. They sing, no condemnation in Christ, and cry, flee from the wrath to come. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.